we go. Two, one. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to this 13th edition of my podcast, Sporting Soul, in which I've been discussing sports with a variety of different friends and guests. And today, uh, it's a pleasure to have on here uh, maybe our most prominent guest yet, uh, a man who mentored me uh, when I was with Sports Illustrated Kids several years ago. Uh, he is the editor-in-chief of Sports Illustrated Kids. Is that right? I... Yeah, I think – yeah, I'm, I think it's a, it's a long story. Yes, for the most part. Yes. My, and he my also in flux. <laughs> and he also contributes uh, to Sports Illustrated. Uh, Mark Bechtel, uh, thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah. Lucky number 13, huh? Yes, yes. Uh, it's exciting. It's exciting to have you on here, especially after. Uh, I think we'll start with. Uh, you're you're an Indians fan. Uh, you were. Were you born in Cleveland? I know you lived. In yes, Cleveland. I was born in Cleveland. I lived there till I was like nine, and then I moved to Huntsville, Alabama. So I I, I kept all of my Cleveland loyalties with me since mm-hmm. there was nothing new down there. Yes. Um. So we had this. Uh, July 30th, a few days ago, we had this blockbuster trade where it, it seems like it had been in the works for a while that Trevor Bauer was on his way out. But we shipped him off to the Reds and got back an impressive haul of Puig from the Reds and also uh, Mio Reyes from San Diego. Uh, I want to know, what was your first reaction when you heard about this deal? Um, I, I like it a lot. Um, you know, their Indians offense is just so, so lethal, um, like not in a good way, like it's lethal to me (laughs) and fans, um, you know, it's sort of, they're a weird setup, you know, their best hitters are sort of, you know, they're, they're shortstop and, you know, this year it's been Roberto Perez has been huge. So their catcher, but in the the positions where you expect them to have the big guns, they've they've had very little um, production from the outfield. So it's um, it really addresses a need. And now, you know, I I looked at the lineup last night, and it's really it's not that bad from you know one to actually one to nine. It's not they they, they it's it's. I think filled many holes and, you know, giving up Bauer. Um, I, I think it's, it's a really good trade because it helps them this year and it's going to help them going forward to get Bauer's contract situation off the radar. You know, they're saving, you know, they would have to pay him probably $20 million next year. And instead they're going to pay Reyes, you know, 600,000 and, if they can do something with that money they've saved instead of just using it to, you know, offset their, their debt, if they can reinvest it, then it helps them this year and it helps them down the stretch. And, you know, obviously Bauer, you know, he, he's had, he was great last year. And I think he's, he's underperformed a little this year. You know, he said he's pitched through an ankle injury and, you know, he, he's just, his, I don't think he's worth what they're going to have to pay him, especially yeah. given how good the rest of the rotation is. So I don't know. What, what did you think? Uh, I I liked the deal a lot, especially because you know, Puig and Reyes are able to fill 
kind of needs to avoid Reyes, although he's not that strong of a defender. He can be our DH for the next five, six years. He's a very young. And Puig, uh, even though he's essentially a rental, um, if we if you want someone with postseason experience, uh, he's a good guy to have around on your roster. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Puig is like I think Puig's going to be big. Um, you know, it's it's first time in the American League, so he's, he's some pitchers aren't going to be incredibly familiar with him. Um, as you know, as much as, as if he stayed in the NL, and he just he just seems like one of those guys who has a tendency to you know make a difference yeah often in a positive way um and you know as far as his you know, the, the everybody's saying uh, you know they traded bauer for puig so it's like they're getting rid of one head case and bringing in another <laughs> but i i think i feel like if you're gonna bring in a guy like puig like and you only do it for a couple months it's great because I, I i would guess that you know his personality is probably it's probably one of those things that like as time goes on, you get a little tired of it. But if he's only going to be there for two months, then three months, then he comes in and it's like, great, we got this guy who's, you know, incredibly passionate and, you know, will you saw with the with the fight the other night, you know, I he was standing was up for his guy and stick you know, up for his teammates. Yeah. So I think I think in a over the, the span of a couple of months, that that's great. So I'm I think he's gonna I think he's gonna be a good um I think he's gonna be a good pickup. Yeah, uh, I, I with Puig, I think I think these pickups they lean more toward Jay Bruce than Josh Donaldson in terms of how much they're going to help us over the next two months or so. Yeah, I mean the the one thing is you know, it, it, it Carrasco you got to figure is probably not coming back you, i just don't think you can count on him coming back so if they don't get kluber back then you know all of a sudden this incredible five-man rotation they had coming into the season is going to be down to two guys yep. going into the playoffs and you know i'm not i love clevenger i love shane bieber i mean if i i told everybody before the season shane bieber is going to be a huge 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 breakout guy i'm never right about anything it was the first time i was ever right about something um and you know, I, you got those two, and, and for my money, they're, they're, I, I think they're the two best guys on staff. I think this is a whole other conversation to have, but I think Kluber is – I think Kluber's losing it even before the injury. Um, so those are the two guys I'm most excited about. But, you know, in the playoffs, you're going to need a third starter and maybe a fourth, and I'm not 100% sold on Zach Plesak and – you know, Plutko doesn't get me that excited. So I think they really need Kluber back or else, you know, they're, they're looking at being a little shorthanded. We're going to be looking at like a, a bullpen game in game three of the ALDS. Yeah. And the bullpen, it's not, you know, it's not Andrew Miller and Cody Allen when he was good anymore. Um, I mean, the bullpen's pitched well, but I, again, there, you know, there's some guys in there that I feel like are, pitching you know their numbers are a little better than than maybe they you would expect them to be just based on on how they throw so um yeah i mean if if kluber doesn't come back then the trade becomes a little problematic because you don't have that that third arm yes they say that kluber could be back by the end of this month but you never can tell with the indians and medicals there's been a couple of hiccups over the years and I think so, one thing with one thing with Kluber though is like the past couple of years he's been fairly dependable, but like as the year goes on, 
he just really loses a lot. He loses a lot of velocity. I mean, like at the end of last year, he was throwing like, you know, 92 tops. And he also, you know, when he, when he's not throwing as hard, the slider, it doesn't, you know, the slurve, it just doesn't like have that snap that you, you get when it's a, you know, when he's throwing it harder and he just, he just becomes so hittable down the stretch and it's happened the past couple of years. And I, in, in some ways, I think the injury might be a good thing because it's kept him from pitching. So yeah, he's going to be rusty, but at least he's not going to go into September with 180 innings on his arm. So it, you know, possibly yeah. could be a good thing, but that might just be me looking for a silver lining. He's not going to be overworked like in past years. Yeah. Anything will be overworked. So I'm looking at the depth chart. And so this, I think, will end up being our postseason 25 man roster is Perez, find the plate, Santana at first, then Kipnis. Uh, Ramirez, Lindor, Naquin, Mercado, Puig, Reyes. So that's what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That's the nine guys. And then a bench, it'll look like probably Luplo, Plowecki. I bet I bet Bradley Zimmer might. Will he be back by then? I'm not. I don't know. I I think he had another. They said he had another setback last I saw. Um, I, I would be kind of surprised, you know, even if he – you know, yeah. even if he came back tomorrow, would he be ready to? You know, would he would he be that dependable by the end of the year? I don't know. I mean, the, the guy yeah. that's interesting to me is Greg Allen, who's actually actually started to hit, and he's just he's such a good guy yeah. to have defensively. I don't know. Now having Reyes and Puig there, it's really gonna you know, it's I think it's gonna squeeze him out. But you know, he's a guy. No, you're guy, right. so, if Greg Allen is playing center field in Game Seven of the 2016 World Series, they win the 2016 World Series. So, I think I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I think Allen could be valuable as a pinch runner in a postseason situation, maybe as a yeah. defensive replacement if the situation calls yeah. for it. And to clarify um, what I just said, obviously they would have had to put him in as a defensive replacement after Davis hit the home run. But anyways, yes, yes. or Greg <laughs> Allen would have had to hit the home run, but. Um, yes. Anyways, and uh, one one more wild card is Bob. Maybe we could see Bobby Bradley on the postseason roster if he he comes back up. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think he's gonna have to. He's gonna have to have like a really good September for that to happen. I would think, um, just because he, you know, he he got off to that great start, first two or three games, and then. Um, you know, in the postseason, it just seems like, especially if they were, you know, can you imagine him going up against like Houston, you know, just, yeah. just hard throwing strikeout heavy stuff. Like that's one thing that this, the, the lineup looks a lot better, but they've had problems, not just this year, but historically, you know, they don't, they don't hit good pitching well. Um, no, no. And you know, the one thing, one interesting thing to me, if you look at the standings, I mean, the Indians have only played like 37 games against teams with winning records. So, you know, basically, it's sort of always been their recipe for success. They just beat up on the on the Tigers and the Royals and the White Sox yeah, and yeah. sort of hold their own against everyone else. So, you know, I, 
it's going to be interesting. It's going to be an interesting month just because they have, you know, this difficult stretch coming up. I think yeah. this is where we sort of find out what, what the answer really is. But anyway, so back to the roster. Um, yeah, I'd be, I'd be surprised on Bradley. Um, just cause I think that now there are so many guys, you know, with Puig and Reyes and Naquin, it's like, you know, what is, where does Luplo fit in? Does Allen have a home? Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of potential guys there. Yeah. 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 It, it is interesting because they can do a variety of different things with this lineup. But now, whether all those are good things is yeah. up for debate. And, you uh, know, the, the, the pitching staff is going to be interesting too. You know, it, it'll be interesting to see how many starters they carry. And, you yeah. know, if, if Salazar is going to, is going to, you know, contribute, he, it sounded like he looked good in Columbus, and then yesterday he was just, yeah. just you know, throwing throw- like eighty-nine mile per hour fastballs. Yeah, that's not what you need for him. It was suboptimal. Yes, very. Yes, very so. So, a, a pitching a pitching staff for the Indians. Let's say they carry thirteen pitchers in the postseason, and that might up and might end up looking like Bieber, Clevenger, Kluber. Plesak, maybe. Salazar, maybe. And then uh, out, of, out of the bullpen, Hand, Simber, Wickren, Perez. I think Otero is coming back soon. Olsen, Clippard, and maybe Goody. So it's it's not exactly a Yankees Franken bullpen coming out there. No. That's the thing. There's just, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of, I, I, I think like a lot of, baseball people I've sort of fallen in love with guys who throw hard so I would like Cole to be good because I feel like he's got the stuff to be good you know to to be sort of dominant and then you watch like Clippard pitch and he's you know he's throwing you know he's sort of throwing those you know deceiving 89 mile an hour fastballs and you just sort of you know kind of wince every time it goes up there and hope no one hits it 430 feet but um, yeah I mean it's like I said, it's a, it's a it's a good pen, but it just seems like there are a lot of guys there who kind of I don't, I don't, just want to watch through your fingers, you know, as you hold them over your eyes. Just they, I don't know not how, blowing anyone away. It, it's a it's a regular season bullpen, kind of yeah. seems like. Not yeah, sure how definitely. much we can trust these guys in postseason action. Which is why it'd be nice. I, I think it'd be nice if Salazar did, you know, if he got it back to the point where he could at least give you, you know. An inning or two out of the pen, throwing hard, and because uh, when he's be, on, he's on. Yes, yeah, so Salazar, he's been a potent weapon. Uh, that's a, a, a great uh, piece of trivia is that uh, he he was the starting pitcher in the 2013 wild card game. I, I yeah. realized that not long ago. I think, but that the one that we ended up losing that was yeah, that was kind of, yeah, but. Um, Salazar, he was uh, he, he used to throw 100. I saw him throw 100. I think two or three years ago in a rehab start for Columbus against Toledo. But last night he seemed to be lacking a little bit. But yeah, I read something. He there was they they didn't seem to think it was his arm. They thought it, I think it was like a groin or something that was sort of screwing yeah. his mechanics up. But um. Yeah, I mean, by all accounts, he was throwing a lot harder than that um, on his rehab starts. So, 
I guess we'll see yep. next time out. Yeah. The, so the Indians are three behind the Twins. We start a series with the Angels. They start a and after that for the Indians, it gets a little rocky, I think, as you alluded to, because I got to pull up the schedule. I think the, the, we see the Yankees, the Red Sox, Rangers, all parties. Yeah, fortunately, they got the Mets in there, so that'll help. Oh, that's good. Yeah, they got the Angels, the Rangers, then the Twins, Red Sox, and Yankees back-to-back, and they get a breather with the Mets and Royals. And then they start in Tigers, Rays, White Sox, Twins, and then a lot of divisional games. And then for some reason they close out the season with the Nationals, which worries me if we're in a yeah. situation where, where we have – it worries me that we're playing in a National League park and we have this potential of a – I don't know, Zach Plesak getting, an, getting at-bats in a game that we need to win. Uh, that's, that doesn't really appeal to me. No, either. no, it doesn't. But, you know, I mean, looking at it, they, they still have 10 left against the Twins. So, you know, I, that as tough as the schedule is, if they can make something happen in those 10 games, then, you know, it's, it's um, you know, they, they certainly have a chance. They can't complain about, um, you know, sort of not, not controlling their own destiny. But, yeah, coming down to, coming down to Zach Plesak with the bases loaded in the ninth is not <laughs> – not an ideal um, scenario there. That's, that's not not what we're shooting for. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I think – how many games up are we in the wild card? I want to look at that too. Uh, maybe down – I haven't checked. It was, it, it was like two and a half. Like two and a half or three and a half or something like that. Hang on. Uh, I got it up. We're, we're a game and a half up on Tampa Bay. Yeah, and – so two they're, up on two up on Oakland. Yeah, they're a half game up on Oakland, and then Boston's three and a half back. So you, you don't really want to roll the dice on a one game playoff, though, as has kind of been seen in recent years, where you've seen those games come down to the wire and teams just suffer these tough, tough losses, like the Cubs last year in thirteen innings, the A's in twenty fourteen in twelve innings. Yeah. Yeah, no, especially, you know, yeah, you don't want to roll the game. Especially against, like, if, if it was Tampa. Tampa, Tampa's one of those weird teams that just scares you. It's like they, they shouldn't be this good, but they are. So you just wonder, you know, wonder how they're doing it, but realize they must be doing something right. You know, you know, what, you know what's going to happen is we're going to play Tampa and it's going to be tied like 5-5 five, five in the ninth, and Andy Diaz is going to come up and take yeah. somebody out. Oh, I, I – I hated that trade so much. I I think I think Bowers eventually I think he'll put it together and be serviceable, but I think Diaz is gonna he's gonna hit thirty five homers yeah. several I times. just loved it. Yeah, you just you just watched him play and it was like if this guy can ever learn to hit the ball in the air, he's gonna be he's gonna be unstoppable. He just he's this, you know, giant horse who just hits ropes everywhere. So um but we'll see. Yeah, the team that scares me most in a one-game playoff is Oakland because they can throw out a because probably because they can throw out the best bullpen. They can throw out a Hendricks, uh, Wells, uh, Trainin, Trevino, Deakman. Yeah, and I, you know what? I wouldn't rule out like Boston making a run here at some point. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I mean, they're kind of a mess, but they're still – they can put up yeah. a lot of runs. Yeah, they have – I think I saw a tweet this morning. They could easily have three guys finish in the top seven, eight of the LMVP voting, Bogart, Devers, and uh, Betts, and not make the playoffs. Yeah. yeah. That doesn't that doesn't speak well for the, uh, for the staff there. No. It's always been a – the bullpen's always been a Dave Dombrowski's weak point. Yeah. Leading back to Detroit. So, we've covered baseball. I definitely wanted to – actually, you know what? One more thing. Uh, what was another trade that another team made that you thought uh, what, what that jumped out to you? Well, I mean, the Granky thing is just yeah, absurd. Um, I mean, I, I how much is uh, – how much are the Diamondbacks paying? I, I, I saw it was like $24 million, but I think that's over the next two years. But, like, still, I, I don't understand how Houston can afford all this, but – um, it just seems like they're they not, have so many guys who are making a ton of money, but um, well, they're, they're, it's not it's not going to be that way for long. Cole is a free agent this year, but yeah, right. the Diamonds are paying uh, some of Granky's salary. So yeah, that was really the super move that sort of makes Houston now the betting favorite, and I think the, the general generally speaking the the favorite to win the World Series. Yeah, I, I think so too. I mean, the, the Dodgers are still there, but um, you know. But the one good thing is, you know, that we've seen time and time again is that it really, you know, the regular season doesn't really matter when it gets to the postseason. It's pretty pretty rare for the, you know, for the overwhelming favorite to actually win it. So, um, kind of an exception last year. Yeah, they were the first in a while. Oh, and I guess you know the Cubs. It's funny, probably yeah. up there. But... Three, three straight hundred win teams have won the title. That, that okay? So that, before that's... three years ago, what we saw yeah. is that it was very unpredictable. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. I think it can still definitely be that way. But you know, Houston, Houston does set up really well for a short series now with, yeah. um, with that, with that rotation. They just you know they're never going to have a situation where they're overmatched on the mound um and that lineup wow. is is pretty scary top to bottom uh, yes it's an embarrassment of riches now with uh uh what's his face the young the one young yeah. guy Alvarez. yeah that guy that guy he's i don't know i i just first time i saw him play was this series and um yeah his plate coverage is just incredible he's got those long arms and it's funny because, like, it looks like he just pulls everything because he can pull, like, any, you can throw a pitch, like, a foot and a half outside and he can still pull it. But I was looking at his, um, like, his spray chart and he, like, you know, his home run distribution is incredible. It's, like, you know, everywhere. So, you know, he's, he, you know, he's, he's strong and he's got these incredible tools, but he also seems like he knows what he's really doing up there. Um, so it'd be nice yeah, to have one like him. Yeah. It's funny that, uh, Alvarez, the one year in the last five years of the Astros haven't been good, 2016. They trade Josh Fields, a reliever, and they get Alvarez from the Dodgers. Yeah. The, the, it's, it's, the Dodgers system is incredible. It's just, they just they just yeah. churn them out. Yeah. Then they have more guys coming up soon. Dustin May, I think, is making his debut, I think, today. That's what I was yeah. hoping, like, in the offseason, I was – like I was sort of secretly hoping the Indians would trade Kluber to the Dodgers because that there was some talk that you know the 
that they were interested. And like I said, I just, I have this sinking suspicion that Kluber's losing it. So I thought he would be a good one to sell high on. Um, And, you know, the the Dodgers system is so, so deep, you know, flush. Yeah. That that could have been a nice, a nice return, but, but I am not the GM. So (laughs) that that might, that might be, that might not be a bad thing. Probably. Yeah. I, I will. I will give you credit for being right about Bieber, though, because he's he's just been unbelievable this year. Well, the funny thing is, I actually I talked to him in the off season for this thing I was writing, and like the thing the thing that's really changed for him is like he's always known how to pitch and been a smart guy with great command, but now he just throws so hard. You know, it's like yeah. he, the the book on him was always like he just you know he throws like ninety one, and I think when he was in college that was good enough with all his other stuff, and now you know, now he's throwing like 95 and that, you know, that four mile an hour jump from, you know, from 87 to 91, it's no big deal from 91 to 95 is huge. Cause you know, guys can't sit on anything. And I, I was asking him, I was just asking him like, how did this happen? Like, what did you do to, to throw harder? And he, it was the, the weirdest answer. He's like, he's like, I didn't do anything. I just decided to try to throw harder. Uh, that's all, that's like, like meta. That's like metaphysical. It's yeah. Like, like, all right. Glad it worked. I mean, um, but yeah, he said he just never really had to do it before. So he just sort of made a conscious decision to like try and throw it a little harder. And I think it actually helps him too. Cause you know, he, he, he can still, you know, sort of pinpoint it, but you know, he, he was always in the zone a little too much. I think, you know, you sort of want to see guys, you know, it's it's great that he doesn't walk anybody, but sometimes the fact that he doesn't walk anybody means that he's probably throwing it over the plate a little more than he has to. And um, yeah. I think it's 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 sort of been good to see him, you know, nibble a little more and be a little less, you know, a little less over the plate all the time. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely served him well this year. I'm just glad uh, I, I wanted last year to give him give him up for Bryce Harper. I'm I'm glad I'm not the GM because that would have been an abject disaster, and we probably still would have lost to the Astros, maybe in four games instead of three games. But I'm glad people are still around. Yeah, yeah. If I were the GM, he'd be untouchable. So, and and if you if you were the GM and I traded him, I I would not be doing this show because I would still be mad at you. <laughs> All right, so. We've pretty much covered the world of baseball, and I want to jump into now a sport with which you have been very closely associated for many years, uh, NASCAR, uh, which you covered a lot for and still do cover occasionally uh, for Sports Illustrated. Uh, it's It's a really different sport than what I remember when I was like six, seven years old and cars came out, and I was like, oh, this is really cool, and I started following along a little bit reading reading about it in the paper because we, we live not far from Michigan International. So we get coverage of uh, NASCAR. But like I said, it's changed a ton just in like 15 years. And it's declined in popularity. I, just, I, just, I want to know what you think because you, you wrote a piece about this, about how this like this notion of a fifth and major sports league never really, never really got off the ground. Um, yeah, I mean, if you look at like the history of the next big things as far as sports goes, like they never work. It never like lacrosse was going to be huge. Soccer was going to be huge. I mean, soccer's made strides, but 
Um, and you know, esports is the next thing. It's like, you know, there's this. They don't. It, it's it's hard to do that. And when you have that as your goal, then in NASCAR's case, you know, they they it was just like an identity crisis. Um, you know, it's like, do do you wanna do you wanna keep the small hardcore fan base you have now, or do you want to try and lure new people in and to lure new people in, you got to do something different or, or, you know, that's sort of the, the thought process. And, you know, what they've done is, is make the sport, um, you know, just sort of unrecognizable. I mean, you said 15 years ago, but like, if you want to see something really cool, you should like go on, go on YouTube and find like old clips from like, you know, like the seventies and eighties, then, yeah. then it's like guys, literally they're driving cars that you can just recognize. It's like, Oh, I have seen cars like that on the street. It looks just like my neighbor's, you know, Mercury Cougar, except, you know, baby Allison's driving. yeah. Um, and, and the racing was like really, really cool. And, you know, I, I think what NASCAR decided was that, you know, closer races, meant better races and you know is that true i i don't necessarily think so and i think a big a big part of it honestly and i don't think this was really in what i what i wrote this time is that you know sponsors are very necessary in nascar but they're also a big big part of the problem because you like you know without have you ever seen the movie the right stuff no, but I know, I know. How have, you, uh, how have you not seen the right stuff? I've seen Apollo thirteen, but not the right stuff. Oh, when have I, you read? Have you read the right stuff? No, I have not read the right stuff either. All right. Well, we're gonna have to talk about this later. Okay. So, anyways, though, there's a line in the right stuff, which is about you know the Project Mercury astronauts, and they're t- and they're basically, I think Alan Shepard is like fighting with a NASA guy, and he tells him, um, you know, he's basically telling the guy that. Um, you know, without without us doing this publicity stuff, um, or, or you know, sort of out there putting a good face on the program, you're not going to get money, and money is what money is what makes it work. And the line he says is he's um, is no bucks, no Buck Rogers. So you know, if you don't we don't have money, we don't have a space program. NASCAR is the same way. It's like no bucks, no you know, Buck Baker, Buck, Buck Baker. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you. So. You've got, you know, you've got all these these corporations coming in and they're dumping like fifteen million dollars a year into the sport, and they're not doing this so they can run like, you know, half a lap behind the leaders. They want to be up front. You know, the Home Depot wants you to see the Home Depot logo on the number twenty car. So NASCAR, I think, just sort of has always felt compelled to like bunch the cars together artificially and that just makes for like incredibly bad racing because you know kind of artificial yeah and and they have to turn the cars into you know things that are unrecognizable so you might as well be watching you know uh indycar or f1 which are completely fine things to watch but you know as far as like a car being recognizable like what's what's the point why call it stock anymore and you know it's just you just have these you know all these little artificial things that are meant to increase competition and it just makes it 
you know, like the way they have the races broken up into segments now, I, you know, it's just, it's so hard to understand it, but they just have to keep doing these things to like, a, tweak it every- yeah, they just tweak it to try and like goose interest and to, to give everybody a chance to, you know, to, to be more competitive. And it's just, it's, it's, to me, it's just not a fun sport to watch anymore. It's just, it's not good racing. Yeah. It's a lot. It, it certainly is a lot different. Like just seeing like Richard Petty, he'd win races by like five laps. In- yeah. Yeah. But I mean, there were always like a couple guys who were in it. So at least, you know, yeah, you're not watching a race where 33 guys can win it. There's maybe five guys who can win it, but at least it's good. Those five guys are going to put on a show. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to get your take on the season so far, so far. So I'm looking at the standings right now, and I don't know how much you've been able to follow along this year, but Kyle Bush and Martin Tro Jr., a lot of the, a lot of the usual faces are near the front. Joey Logano, last year's champion, has two wins. He's in fifth in the playoff standings. Uh, um, Chase Elliott, some of these young guys are starting to break through a little bit. Chase Elliott, Alex Bowman, uh, William Byron, which cracks me up because doesn't he drive the Liberty University car? I believe so, yes. It just makes me laugh for some reason. Yeah, uh, the most <laughs> thing possible. Uh, so who are you expecting to? Uh, I mean, who, who who would your pick be to take home the title if if you could pick? Um, I, well, that that's like part of the problem is like it's it's such a you know it all comes down to one race. Yeah. At a track that's like it's Miami's not even like a good track to have the last race on because it's it's very it's it's so different from what they usually run on it's it's just it's very flat and it you know it it just requires it requires being good at Miami requires you to be good at Miami like being good. Being good at Michigan just means you got to be good on ovals. So, they, like Miami's, it's a it's a weird sort of like special skill set. So, and it's it also just having the whole thing come down to one race to me is really sort of, you know, you're crowning a season champion, and you know you blow a tire, and yeah, that's sudden, it. All of a sudden, yeah, all of a sudden the fourth best driver wins. But you know, if I had to bet, I would. Kyle Busch just seems like you know a pretty dependable guy who's always going to be there. Um, him and Logano, I would like to see Harvick win again, just cause I like him. Um, you know, he's just sort of, you know, he's, he's, he sort of, you know, straddles that old school new guy thing pretty well, even though he's getting up there in age, but um, you know, he was, he was one of the young guns back when he, when, when he first took over in that car. Um and I think he's done, you know, that guy's had a really interesting career. You know, he's being the guy who has to take over for Dale Earnhardt after he, after he gets killed and to, you know, to, to be as good as he's been and sort of forge his own identity and, and um, you know, have success, not just with, with Childress, but as he's moved on. Um, and he's an interesting guy to me. And I, you know, I wouldn't, wouldn't mind seeing him, uh, him bring it home again. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting because, as you've alluded to, NASCAR is kind of it is kind of in the midst of this identity crisis, and it's kind of fascinating to watch, sort of the 
the like the week to week races play out against this scale of what NASCAR is going to be in the future. Yeah, I, I you know I don't know I, I I don't know how much do you watch it. I mean, I like once in a while I'll put it on. I mean, I watch the Daytona 500 every year. I usually watch the Coca-Cola 600 as part of like the day of racing on Memorial Day weekend. Usually I'll watch at least part of the Homestead race. Uh, some years I watch the, the night race at Bristol. And then um, other than that, I mean, bits and pieces. I I see it come across my Twitter time, timeline. I follow like Jeff Block from The Athletic. I follow, I follow uh, what's called NASCAR Chasm, which, which cracks me up. Hmm. But other than that, I, I mean, it's, it kind of is like it kind of has become a little bit like golf, where you put it on in the background, you know, look up now and again. Yeah, have you ever been to a race? I ha- I've been to the Indy Five Hundred, but never to a NASCAR race. Oh, nice. Um, you should try and do the Bristol Night Race. Yeah, it's pretty uh, incredible. Yeah, I'm, when they played that uh, college football game there a couple years ago, that was. Amazing to see 150,000 people. And it was also kind of funny how they've put the field over the infield. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the great thing about Bristol is you can, like, no matter where you are, you can see everything. Um, yeah. You know, unlike Indy, where you're just sort of, you know, you see them come yeah. by and then you wait for them for 40 seconds to, to do it again. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's that's sort of the, the frustrating thing is like, it's a cool sport in person, especially. Um, it's just, you know, I think by trying to make it into this thing that appeals to everybody, it's it's kind of, you know, shot itself in the foot a little bit. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of alienated uh, what it was in the first place. Yeah. So what's your favorite NASCAR memory as a fan or journalist or both? What ones um, do you say? You know, just like getting to deal with, with Dale Earnhardt was pretty pretty cool. Um, you know, he was, uh, he was just, he was an interesting guy, you know, he was, he was like a really good quote and he, he understood like the man in black thing. He understood the intimidator thing and, and, you know, he played it up pretty well. Um, you know, there was always this, this rivalry with Jeff Gordon where Gordon was like the young guy and Earnhardt was, you know. With, he'd sort of make fun of him for being overly sensitive because, like, Gordon cried on stage one year. And um, I just remember one year at Daytona, it must have been like 99 ish or something. You know, they had sort of cultivated this, you know, public image where, you know, there were these bitter rivals or whatever. And it was in one, I think it was like the IROC race, maybe. I don't think it wasn't even like one of the qualifying races or anything like that. Um, so they were in, you know, like in these Camaros driving um, in a little 12 man race. I think that's what it was. And there was just like something at the end where um, I think like Gordon blocked Earnhardt and did, you know, it, there was everybody was trying to make a huge deal out of it. And they were like, oh, it's, you know, these, these guys who hate each other. And then I, I just happened to be like in the garage and as, as they were coming into, I think, the media center. And, um, you know, they were both had these huge smiles on their faces and like Earnhardt was just, you know, sort of like playfully punching him on the arm just because like, you know, they had had this sort of they, they got together and um, had this, um, 
you know, this sort of cool racing moment that that everybody wanted to make into a big deal. And it was clear that both of them just like really liked racing against each other. And, you know, they they just saw it as, you know, two guys fighting for the same spot and you know whatever and you know everyone else is trying to make it into this this huge thing and and they were you know they were both sort of good at at, at just sort of playing up the whole rivalry but it was just cool to me to see you know how much they actually really did sort of like each other and respect each other and you know Earnhardt was he was a he was a really good interview he understood like I said he understood how the game was played and um Mm -hmm. let me tell you what's on his mind and um you know it's it's easy to see how how he became as, as, as popular as he did um, and why, you know, so many fans would, would flock to him. Cause he was, you know, he, 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 he was, he was them basically, you know, to that, to that Every uh, man. early eighties fan base. Yeah. He was just a guy who, you know, sort of, you know, everything he got, he worked for himself and um, yeah. He, so, um, you know, and I, I wrote a book about the 1979 season and that um, that was sort of, you know, the Daytona 500 that year was it ended in a big fight. And everybody points to that as being sort of the race that started it all. So that was cool because I, I just got to go back and talk to all these guys who were, you know, racing in the 60s and 70s and were sort of instrumental in getting the sport off the ground. And they were just, you know, a bunch of a bunch of, you know hard hard work and hard playing good old boys and they all told some some pretty great stories so um just that that whole era was was really fun to go back and revisit yeah yeah it's a it's a great book i've read it uh thank you thank you he he crashed me and he crashed me so i crashed him back yes it's available on amazon uh so you, you can go check that out if you're listening whether you're an NASCAR fan or not, I think it's a very interesting chronicle of an, an era in American sports and an era in American history. So I'm a big, big fan of that. Well, I think that's very nice of you. All right. So I want to move on to probably the biggest Cleveland sports story of the year and one that really we really haven't even seen develop yet, and that is the Browns just becoming – decent for one for once uh how how i want to know how excited are you for this season i I don't know i'm trying i'm trying to i'm trying to temper it i am i don't know i I swore the browns off a couple years ago because i um i just sort of had it with with the tanking and and the the ownership is still sort of problematic to me they just like being a fan and sort of you know putting money in the Haslam's pockets is doesn't really appeal to me. Um, so I was like, you know what? I'm done with them. I'm done. And at the time it was easy because like they were terrible. So it's not like, it's not like I was costing myself anything. If anything, I was giving myself back a couple hours every weekend. Um, but yeah, so I've, I've overturned my, um, my my exile is over um i'm trying not to get too try not to buy into it too much um but i mean there's a lot of talent there there's a lot of talent and i don't know at the same time you know i just 
six and ten keeps popping into my head. So I got no idea. I think I think this team. I think I think they're set up pretty well for the next two, a few years. I think it was. I'm trying to remember what national writer it was. I think it might have been a Robert Mays at the Ringer who said on a podcast a while back that this might end up being like in seven years you'll have to tell you it'll it'll be like the Astros where in seven years you'll have to you'll have to work to convince your kid that this was once the laughing stock of pro football. That would be an ideal situation. It would. It's yeah. tough to maintain it, you know. The NFL's there's there's plenty of turnover, and it's tough to keep it going. But um, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, like, what? I, I'm a little worried about the defense. Just like the, you know, the linebacking core doesn't really yeah. thrill me too much, and I, you know, the offensive line you should yeah. be okay, but it just like they're just loaded at the skill positions. Yeah, so I don't I mean, know what what do you see like being what what do you think they'll go what, what what's your what's your what's your one loss prediction my my win loss prediction I think they're a ten and six team I think they're a playoff team I'm not sure that they're a division champion I, mean, I think they're a playoff team this year um, I'm the, the Pittsburgh it's gonna be it's gonna be really interesting to see just how well last year they were fine without Le'Veon Bell because they can just slot in Connor. And it's we've kind of entered this era where the system means more than the individual rusher, in uh, in, uh, with regards to running backs. Uh, it'll be fascinating to see how Ezekiel Elliott Dallas saga plays out. But uh, I think losing Antonio Brown, I think that's gonna hurt them. Uh, I think more than they realize. And Baltimore, I'm not sure. I think teams are gonna have more film on Lamar Jackson. Uh, we'll see how his arm shapes up, but I I don't want to anoint the Browns a division champions. But on the other hand, I'm not completely convinced either Pittsburgh or Baltimore can win yeah. two. So, uh, I, what 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 would you what, what do you think? Do, do you think this is a playoff team as currently constructed, or do you think it's still a year away? I yeah, I think I, ten and six sounds about right. I mean, I think they also. I think there's a chance that they could actually be better than that. I think there's a chance they could be really good, and it's going to come down to. I think a lot of it's just going to come down to Mayfield, and you know, is there any regression? Is there, you know, the sophomore slump's kind of a real thing, and um, you know, but like you said, the division is is pretty up in the air, and I, I think you're right about Pittsburgh. You know, missing missing Brown more than they think. You know, Juju's really good, but it helps to have that other guy on the other side of the field. And I think that's like one thing, one thing that's, I think really, really good about having Beckham there is that, you know, everybody's making a big deal about how he and Landry, you know, they were been best friends since high school or whatever, but like they also play really well together. You know, everybody's like, well, how's Baker, how's Baker going to figure out who to throw to? Like this was a thing at LSU and they both did fine. So yeah, I, I think yeah. the way the receiving core is set up, Baker is a little bit better than Jordan Jefferson, or yeah. whoever it was. Yeah, um, and you know, I, I with not just those two, but you know, I think Njoku's like a big part of this, and I like you know, I like Callaway and Higgins. I like a lot too. Yeah. Can... Um, so I think. You know, I think it just might come down to sort of, you know, the trenches to the guy, you know, the the, the line and, and 
you know, how well they can protect Mayfield and, you know, the, the, the running game seems pretty healthy. So, you know, I, it's hard to find like a glaring weakness um, offensively. And I think they got a pretty good chance to be good defensively as well. I think, you know, greedy is big to me. If they, if he turns out to be, if he turns out to be like a, you know, sort of a second plus cornerback, then you've got like a, you know, you're going to have a pretty good pass rush. You're going to have a, you know, good, good, you know, good cover guys on the outside. And, you know, that's, that's what you need and the way the league is going. And I, you know, like I said, it's, it's hard to find a glaring weakness other than this is the Which, Browns and, you know, should, history should is the glaring inspire. weakness. Should inspire suspicion when you ever, whenever you say, uh, whenever the the Browns have no glaring weakness, say uh, that should be that should be a red flag in and of itself. Yeah, but yeah, no, yeah, that's a good way to you know annoy yeah. the football gods. They're, like I said, their their glaring weakness is you know fifty five years of history. Yes, yes. So I'm looking at the schedule, and uh, it's funny the games that all start really early for you. The one p.m. games will start at ten a.m. and for like the night games, they'll start at five o'clock, so you'll have time to stew about it. Because obviously, you live in San Francisco now. Uh, for for those of you who don't know Mark, and I would assume that's all of you, uh, he moved from New Jersey to San Francisco not long ago. Positive lifestyle uh, upgrade there for me. Yeah. So I'm looking at the schedule and. Uh, Tennessee, I don't think I don't expect them to have a problem with the Titans in Week One. Week Two, the Jets scare me a little bit. For uh, obviously, we see them for the fiftieth Monday Night Football, but I'm there, there's something about I think they're I think they're a team surprise too. And I don't think they have our talent yet, but I think they'll put up a good. Yeah, they've gotten better and. Um... I, I don't know. I'm not as afraid of them as as that, but um, you know, I, they, I I don't know. I see that as a all right. So that we'll, we'll say two and zero at that point. Rant. We're gonna go through. Well, but we're gonna go through this, and I'm gonna have them like six. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're we're gonna talk ourselves into beating New England, beating Pittsburgh twice. We're we're gonna we're gonna make that happen. So the Rams. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that one. That's an L. We'll, yeah. we'll put that as a loss. Uh, then All right, in dude. Baltimore last weekend of September, that I think is a toss-up. I think I think the games against Baltimore are going to be really good. Last year I went to the game we won in overtime against the Ravens. That was the first time I've been to a Browns game. Yeah. Really? Yeah. But but uh, it was it was uh, something else. Um, my dad my dad said to me beforehand. He said. Uh, you you will see you will see things you will not see at any other sporting event. And sure enough, uh, there was a guy two rows in front of us wearing a chain around his neck. Uh, there was a another guy near us who was just vaping. He looked like a steam engine. And the the the, the guy directly in front of us, he put away five beers in the first quarter, and he was out till the start of overtime. And he was it was he was actually. 
dropping large quantities of money on the ground. And it was a good thing that his girlfriend was there to pick them up because we were like just witnessing $20 bills like spilling out of his pocket and his girlfriend's picking them up. I haven't been to a Browns game in a long time. It's nice to see some things don't no, change. No, it, it was it was like a it was like an American Dickens novel. All, all these characters around, but it, it it was some it was something else. We pulled out a twelve nine win in overtime. So I'm I'm not even sure how the Ravens are going to look with uh Lamar Jack with Lamar Jackson. I don't, they say that uh John Harbaugh has been talking to Paul Johnson, the now former Georgia Tech coach. Are they going to try to run some sort of triple option? I'm not sure. So how, how do you see this one going for us? Ugh. I'm going to take the win only because if they lose, then then they're, then that's sort of a, you know, you figure they're going to lose to the Rams. And um, this is, you know, sort of wishful thinking. Like, you know, if they're going to be for real, I, I think the game will be a good indication of yeah. like, how good they're really going to be because like I think I think they they should win the first two and then lose to the Rams if they can't beat Baltimore or if they lose one of the first two and lose to the Rams and then lose to Baltimore yeah. then they're one and three and That's then it's like hard. okay the hype may have been a little yeah. <laughs> so I, I think I think this is a game that's going to tell us a lot yeah definitely so after that they're in San Francisco they're in your town for Monday night football so that that will be interesting. I'm not even sure how the 49ers will look getting Garoppolo back. That they're going to be a team to watch this year. I think we can win. I think we can win that one. Yes. Yeah, I think that's a win. I, I, the Niners don't they don't really frighten me. All right. So famous last words. <laughs> so right now we're looking at 4 and 1 or maybe 3 and 2. Uh, yeah, I mean, I yeah, I know, I know. All right, so I know I've said four and one. I've, I they'll probably lose one of the ones they said they would. Yes. Yeah, so, realistically, three and two. But I, I would sort of talk myself into four yeah. and one. And okay, and then I think probably a loss is Seattle on October thirteenth. That that doesn't look good to me. I think the Seahawks are going to be really good this year. I think uh, Russell Wilson is it. I think he he's in line for another big year. Yeah, I mean it's at home, but but yeah. Although uh, I'm I don't know about the Seahawks defense. I'm a little iffy on them. They're not what they once were. So true. I, I, I'm going to give it to the Seahawks, but I think that that's one where we could steal. I, I feel like we could we steal a game there that puts us in good shape. Yeah, I think it's possible. I I, I tell you what. I, yeah, I say. So, are you there? Hello? Mark? Hello? Are you there? Yes, yeah, sorry. Are you still there? We, 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 yeah, we lost you for very briefly. All right, we so can fix that in post-production, I hope. <laughs> Yeah, yes. I might just leave it in there. Honestly, it wasn't that long. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll see. So we'll probably edit we'll, this out then. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. So I think I think four and two after week six. Okay. Yeah. 
What were you? I was going to say, what were you saying about the Seahawks that was bleeped out? Um, yeah, I just, I just had a, yeah, I just started cursing for no good reason. Uh, yeah, four and two, four and two is my call there. All right, so we're at the bye week, so we catch our breath. October twentieth, that weekend, Northwestern plays Ohio State, so uh, got to worry worry about my college team for that one. Oh yeah, where is that at Northwestern? In Evanston on a Friday night, which is unorthodox. My my dad, uh, an Ohio State grad, has already made known that uh, he will be coming and bringing like five college friends. So uh, we, we wish me luck for uh, that weekend. Yeah, that, that'll be what. Uh, do they have any? What's Northwestern's like? What's what's your first? What's your home opener? What's your first game you're going to go to? The first game I'm going to go to. Their home opener in the North. The thing about Northwestern is we start ridiculously late. We start classes start September 24th. I won't be on campus until September 15th. So three weeks of three weeks of college football will already have been played by the time I'm moved moved in. Wow. So UNLV is their home opener on the 14th. The first one I'll go to is the 21st against Michigan State. Northwestern has a kind of a cutthroat schedule. The Big Ten West is going to be really improved this year. Uh, they get Ohio State, Michigan State, and they also start with Stanford. So, uh, it'll, it'll be interesting. I think we can go eight and four, nine and three if things break right. But yes, it's it's a, it's a good thing that the Browns bye week slots nicely with the Northwestern's yeah. toughest test. Yes, yes, that's good planning. Yes, yes, they 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 wrote they lined that up for me. That was very nice of them. So they back to the brownies. All they right. come out of the week on the twenty seventh, going to New England. Uh, I don't think I don't think we're winning that one. Yeah, that's an. I mean, yes, we'll, we'll we'll put that down as a loss. Uh, we'll curb our enthusiasm on that one. Uh, Tom Brady, he's got to stop sometime, but I don't think it's going to be this year. No, I don't think I don't think it's going to be that week. No. So November third, we head down to Denver, fighting our ways. Uh, I I think that I think we'll have that one in hand. Although I'm high on Vic Fangio, I think he's a good coach. Obviously, he uh, went out there with a kidney stone last night against uh, the Falcons in the whole yeah. thing. I, I think but, he, yeah, that's that's got to be a win. That's yeah, it's not gonna. No matter how mad they stomp them, it's not gonna erase the memories of the drive and the fumble and the other one, but we'll take one there. Yes. Uh, I also, actually, the, the Browns-Broncos, that was the last game I ever, it was the last Browns game I went to in Cleveland, I think. It was like right before we moved, and I almost choked to death on a hot dog. Uh, yeah, I, I, I was going to say, I think I remember you referencing that in some, some writing, but was, was that at the old stadium? It was at the old stadium. Although, you know what, I... I it's possible I misremember. I definitely went to the game. I remember the Browns lost. It was 1980. It was the year they won the division. Uh, it was the Cardiac Kids year. Uh, they lost. Um, it might not have been the game at which I almost choked to death. Because I, I was going – I remember after I choked to death, I'm pretty sure Mike Pruitt broke off a long run. And I was looking at the, I was looking at the play-by-play, and there was no long run by Mike Pruitt. So I think it might have happened in 79. So I've been telling, I've been telling this story for years, and I've been telling it wrong. <laughs> so I'm coming that's, clean. That's hilarious. But yeah, I think the Broncos 
that's a win. Uh, we'll, we'll avenge the drive-in fumble for for this year. For this, year. it was and fun to beat them with. Yes, my and, and near death. Yes. So we move on to Bills home November tenth. That seems like a easy W. Yeah, it better be. Yeah. I mean, if we can't if we can't win that one, it's time to take a look in the mirror. Right. Now, I I really don't like this that we only we only get a four day layoff, then we get the Steelers on Thursday night football. I think I think that I think that's an that's a, that's an L for me. That one. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, it's at home. I mean, Pittsburgh P- Pittsburgh plays that's the week true. before too, right? So they're going to be on a short week too. It, it, I, yeah, I think you're right. But I don't know. Let's see. Who are they playing right before? Well, they play the Rams right before us. Yeah, no, we'll beat them. Yeah, I'm taking that. Okay, I, I'm you, calling you, that one. You've convinced me. You've convinced me. Okay, then we take a ten day break. So we, I think, I think we celebrate thirty years of not playing on Thanksgiving this year. Although I'm sure that will change in the future. But we, November twenty fourth, uh, Sunday, we play the. Oh wait, no, that's not Thanksgiving week. Never mind. But we play, we play the Dolphins November twenty fourth. I think that's a win there that's in the middle. Win. Yes, they're tank, hashtag tank for two. Uh, I think. So what I are we now? Uh, we're eight and three now. Something like that. Uh, we yeah, we're eight and three. Eight. We're in the eight three seven four range. I I, I think was just seven seven four was what we were in twenty fourteen before imploding. So well, if we can avoid if we can avoid that kind of situation. Yeah, imploding so, is never good. No. So December 1st, that's Thanksgiving week because Thanksgiving is late this year. Uh, we celebrate 30 years of not being, not playing on Thanksgiving, uh, which, like I said, I think will change soon, but not this year. December 1st, we go to Pittsburgh uh, for the dreaded Nance Romo 425 game. I don't know. I, I, think, I think I'm conditioned to say that we're going to lose to the Steelers in, uh, at Heinz Field. I th- I think I've been I think I've been uh, trained because it do, it it doesn't feel right uh, anything anything else. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if it makes you feel any better, Three River Stadium was the same way for a long time. So, yeah, I think that's a that's we got that's an L. We got we got to get on that one. Yes, yes. So then we move on. Then it starts to lighten up a little bit. But we get Cincinnati December eighth, and which I don't I don't think we should have a problem with the Bengals. No, I mean, I think, in fact, I I think that they're they're on a trajectory where their quarter their quarterback in twenty twenty one could easily be Trevor Lawrence, which scares the bejesus out of me. Uh, I think that's the dark path that they're headed down. Uh, um, yeah, that 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 better be a win right there. Yes, yes. Uh, December fifteenth, go to Arizona. That feels like a win, although. Kyler Murray, it's going to be interesting to see how that comes together. Uh, I think that's a fairly, fairly easy win right there. I, th- I think so too, but I also wouldn't be surprised if they found a way to lose. That, that, that's, that seems kind of a that trap has, game. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Even though it's not a proper trap game that has trap game right. all over it. So really the, the money game in December, the, the kind of crux – of our entire season, which could make or break us, it is December twenty second. We get the Ravens at home. 
I don't know. Last year we played them last week of the season. Even though we had no playoff bearing, it was an amazing game. Came down to the wire. It's going to be – I'm, I'm still mad about that call. I think it was shortly before halftime where uh, Lamar – did not break that football did not cross the plane true and we should we should have scored a touchdown on that play so i'm so bitter about that let it go let it go (laughs) you gotta move on um all right i I, but wait do we what did we we said at baltimore's a win right back in yeah yeah i think that was that was like our uh, litmus test where if they win it they're for real if they don't then we'll see. I'm tempted to I'm tempted to say win because it's just because it's at home and it's probably going to be snowing or something. And the, the, usually, usually the weather is on our side on, in December. Yeah, I, I'll take it. All right. Then at Cincinnati, December 29th, should be an easy win. All right. So so we just basically picked them to go 12 and four. Yeah, yeah. After we, saying we just, don't get too excited, yeah. we picked we, we, the twelve yeah. before. The the first part of this was all all right. Temper expectations. This is a young team. We we just we just spoken into existence a twelve season. Well, here's the thing, though. Uh, just as we went through this, so like they're, they're not going to beat the Rams. They're not going to beat the Patriots. They're not going to win in Pittsburgh. So that's like three definite L's. So like, it's not. I, I don't even think there's like. We picked 12 wins, but, like, I think eight of those they could lose, whereas we picked four losses and three of them, there's no doubt. So I think – I feel more like 11, 10 and 6, 11 and 5. They lose those three, and then of those sort of eight toss-ups that we gave them every single time, they'll probably lose one or two of them. They lose one to the Ravens. Uh, like, I, I think that they'll lose to the Seahawks. And then maybe, I don't know. Maybe lose. Maybe Arizona springs an upset. Yeah, I agree on. Yeah, so I agree on Seahawks. One of the Ravens. Uh, yeah. So the loser of the Rams, the Patriots, the Steelers, the Seahawks, the Ravens, and somebody else. And a, a dumb loss. And a dumb where, loss. So it's going to be like, or Twitter is going to light up and say, "Oh, you you can take, you you, you can't take the Hugh Jackson out of the Browns." It's going to be it's going to be something freaky like. Buffalo last minute where Josh Allen leads this ridiculous drive and with uses his huge hands to put the ball in the end zone, fourth and goal quarterback sneak. It's going to be something bizarre like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Tenants. All right. So I can live with that. Yeah. If we 10 and six, that, that should get us a wild card berth at least. And then, in the playoffs, you never know. I think it was a uh, one of the one of the magazines, Athlon. Uh, I think they they had us in the wild card game against Indianapolis, losing. And I'll take that. I'll take that. You know, the guy who runs Athlon is my college roommate. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I was about to say. Is uh, I think Mitch White is is that his name? That is his name. Yes. 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 Uh, a big fan of that Athlon magazines. Um. But yeah, if we can, if if I can see the Browns in a playoff game, I, I am I am 18 years old now, and I have not seen the Browns in a playoff game. The only playoff game they played, I was one year old. 
And you're lucky. You I would just, yeah, yes, that was a Dennis Northcutt game, I think. But I, yeah, I just want to, I just want to see them. I want to see them on NBC or somewhere. I want to see. I, I, I was telling a friend a while back. I'm just excited to see in week three. I'm excited to see Chris Collinsworth do his slide on a Browns game. Yeah. Yeah, no, they go ahead. Oh, no, no, I was just agreeing with you. It'll be, it'll be nice to to see. It'll nice to finally be on TV. It'll be on national TV, and I I can see their games in Chicago, hopefully. How many um? So how many national TV games are there? There's the two Monday nights and a Thursday night. We got Jets Monday night, Rams Sunday night. Um, oh, that's good. Patriots Sunday night. Patriots is Nance Romo, the late the late doubleheader. Denver maybe, but I don't think so. Uh, Pittsburgh yes uh, on Thursday night. Um, Pittsburgh on December first I think is uh, Nance Romo, and then in December you know they can flex if they want. Right. They can flex on that Sunday night. So we're we're gonna get some exposure, whether whether we like it or not. Yeah, I uh, I don't know. I, I I'm sort of torn, like how I'm gonna watch because, um, I mean this is like the first year I gotta like go to every game. So there there is a Browns backers club. Oh, uh, there's a couple out here actually. I've sort of been doing sky. There's two of them, and they're in like they're like they watch in, in bars that are like, you know, a half a mile apart. So I'm trying to figure out if there's some sort of rivalry or something I don't know about. Um, you don't want to get like a jet sharks situation. No, I don't. No, I don't. Yeah. I got to figure out who's the jets, who's the sharks in this situation. Um, yeah. I hope, I hope it does not turn into a musical. That would be bad, but I did buy, I did just buy a Webster slaughter Jersey. So I've got Ooh. something to wear. Excellent. Excellent. It's pretty cool. I've been, yeah. I got I got an uh, Odell jersey. I, that was a, kind of a graduation gift. I got a Nick Chubb jersey last Christmas. So I'm I'm ready. I'm ready. I, and I, yeah, it's, it's it's sort of weird being like a 48 year old man and like wearing a customized jersey. Like for Slaughter, it's okay because he's like older than I am. But I actually have I have a Justin B, or a, a Shane Bieber jersey because yeah. it, it's the Players Weekend one. So his his nickname was not Justin, which I thought was very funny. So I so I bought the jersey, but now it's like I'm like this weird guy who's like wearing a 25 year old guy's jersey. Um, I'm like old enough to be his dad, and I'm totally fanboying him. But so if you see a guy walking around wearing a not Justin jersey, it's probably me because I don't think that was a big seller. It's probably you. Well, yeah, I think his season has been good enough for you to wear his jersey. I feel like I feel like there's a certain level of performance you have to achieve to become a universal where people of all ages can wear your jersey. I feel like Bieber has cleared that threshold. I, like, I, I appreciate that. And also the fact that it's funny, that helps too. Because I can always claim I'm wearing it for the humor and not for the and, you know fanboy aspect. Yeah, and not because you – you're you're in a pit of insecurity because we haven't won the World Series in 71 years. Yes, that too. Speaking of tortured fan bases, you're you're a Vanderbilt alum, as 
uh, I think we might have we might have alluded to it earlier, but uh, first of all, did you did you get a Darius? Gar- have you have you gotten a Darius Garland jersey? Is my question. No, but all I want to my, my goal next year is to somehow sabotage the Indians to the point that they tank and draft Kumar Rocker uh, Rock. first in the draft uh, uh-huh. in twenty twenty one. Uh, yeah, you're right. You obviously have close ties to Vanderbilt baseball. How incredible was it that 19 strikeout performance? I did not realize all 19 of them were swinging. That's incredible. That's incredible. He had a stretch of like 27, where he had like 27 strikeouts. It was all of those in that game, and plus a few before and after. He had 27 strikeouts in a row that were swinging strikeouts, which, you know. Like, there are like major league pitchers who will like go through a game and not have like ten swings and misses to do yeah. it nineteen times. I know it's college, but so nineteen times on strike three is unbelievable. Oh yes. uh, well, um, he's a freshman, right? Yeah, he's a true freshman, which is it's which is great yeah. because you know he can't. He's, they they got him for two more years, no matter how good he is. So. Oh. He'll be in the twenty-one draft. So he's he's going to be a stud somewhere, but I I know I've, it's an interesting time for sports down at Vanderbilt. I have a close friend who goes to Vanderbilt. Uh, you know they're bringing in Jerry Stackhouse to uh, replace Bryce Drew after uh, the disaster that was the zero and eighteen uh, SEC season. Um, I, I I don't even know. Did they recruit? Did did they recruit at the level that they did with Bryce Drew? Obviously, Simi Shatu. No, I mean it wasn't. They have um, they've recruited okay. I think they had like Scotty Pippen Jr. and yeah, they they were going to have somebody else's kid too, and I think he backed out. I can't remember what it was. It was another Martin's kid. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Um. I don't know. I think the Stackhouse thing is interesting. I think I'm fine with it. You know, the fact he's got no college experience, but he just, you know, Bryce Drew seemed like the perfect fit because he's, yeah, you know, he just he's you, you sort of pictured him as this guy who can kind of a natural leap from kind of a natural leap from a, a mid major to SEC. Mark, are right, there? We're we're losing, we're losing again. Do the let's just do a one eighty and do the strangest thing we can think of, and hiring a guy with no college coaching experience. Sure, and and you know yeah. one thing I will say is you know I, I've talked to a, a few people sort of in NBA circles. And everybody seems to think Stackhouse is a smart guy, who's a good coach. He, you know, he's, he was a G League coach for the Raptors, and um, you know everybody. Everybody has good things to say about it, and it is sort of interesting because their, you know, their new athletic director used to be the the head of the G League in the NBA, and I that, I think played a pretty big part in Stack getting the job. But um, you know, like I said, it. it, it, it the the thing that should have worked didn't work, so you might as well try something completely different. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, but 
Stackhouse is the name, I think. He's been kicked around for some NBA head coaching jobs over the years. Yeah, I mean, he's always been a, you know, sort of smart guy, student of the game, blah, blah, blah. So, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to give it a go. Yeah. But now on the football side, uh, the last year Vanderbilt, they made a bowl game. They lost to Bjorn, didn't they? Yes, they lost. Yes, and uh, this this year a lot of people are. I, I think I've seen uh, Keyshawn Vaughn's name on a couple of Heisman sleeper lists. Um, the SEC East has gotten tougher, and Kyle Kyle Schirmer is gone, right? Yeah, yeah. So quarterback's an issue. So, uh, for, well, first of all, I know that you you take a road trip every year to see Vanderbilt play. Uh, where where are you and your friends? Uh, I know you're friends with uh, uh, Mitch Light and isn't Tyler Kepner from the New York Times a friend of yours? Yeah, Tyler is. Yeah, Tyler's not part of the road trip crew. He's um, we we didn't overlap. Tyler was a yeah. Tyler got there the year after I graduated, so I I met him as he as he was coming in. Um, he, when he visited when he was a senior in high school, but um, yeah, so we got we got Mitch there, and uh, this year we're going we're going to Nashville, which is there just weren't any uh, there weren't any great road games that we hadn't been on before, so we just decided you know a couple of the guys still live in Nashville, but we just thought it would be kind of fun to do it there. Yeah. Um, so um, that's a good question. Oh, Northern Illinois. Illinois, uh, good good job uh, going going to a fairly sure victory. Yeah, that played a big part in it. You don't want to you don't want to you don't want to travel halfway across country and see your team get stomped. But um, uh, yeah, you know they they should be they should be okay. Um, yeah, they they just you know they have it, it's weird. You know, at a place like Vanderbilt, you just have to sort of. Except, except that they're going to be they, they can be pretty good every couple of years, but you got to just like you you got to get to a team. You, you got to the, the only way they're going to be really good is if they're senior heavy, and the way to do that is you just start playing guys when they're young and let them get that experience and stay together, and then you know at the end of the cycle they should be pretty good, and then you have to sort of start over the next year. And they've got you know they've got a couple of good skill position players and. um you know, Shermer's gone, but they got this guy, Kalijah Lipscomb, who's a receiver, who um, who's great. And the, the way Vanderbilt, like, always – or when Vanderbilt's successful, they usually have, like, a pretty good quarterback and a receiver that he's, like, on the same page with. And, like, Shermer and Lipscomb were that way. So it was, like, every – you know, every third down, he's just going to throw it to Lipscomb and hope for the best, and a lot of times it works out. And, you know, that's that's kind of how they beat teams. They're not going to – run anyone off the field they just have to sort of have their little you know bread and butter things that work um and and you know it's it's tough you know the whole oh that's a you know they have high academic standards so it makes it hard to win you know that's that's true to me the bigger issue is they play in the sec and their facilities are awful and they have no well, they're getting better, but they're, you know, they, they just, it's not Bama. They don't have that fan base. They don't have the donors. They don't have the facilities. So, you know, they're, they're just always 
football is the one sport that's just going to be really, really, really hard to be consistently good at. But, you know, everything else, there's really no excuse for Vanderbilt not to be good. And they're starting to it's sort of they're they're at a point now where they're they're pretty good at most things that they compete in. So, you know. Yeah. A national power. Yeah. What I think you guys need to do is find find your pets, Pat Fitzgerald, or although although it would although it would help if you had a a player like Pat Pat Fitzgerald who could come back twenty years later and be the be the best coach in program history. But. Yeah. Uh, wait, hold on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, it's it's um. It's like I said, it you know it's 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 the SEC. It's just so hard. I mean, Northwestern is 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 kind of that way too. It's just as far in terms of like Um. So it's just it's it's. I don't know. I've never really gotten my. You know, when James Franklin was there, it sort of seemed like that was a really good fit. Um, uh-huh. And, um, you know, it's it's hard it's it's hard to find somebody who's um, who's going to be good in that situation, who's not going to leave for greener pastures when things start to go well. Yeah. So, um, um, yeah, it's just it's kind of a fact of life that they're going to be okay at best. Okay. Well. It's going to be interesting. Their schedule, it looks like they could see, steal five or six wins and get back to a bowl game. I think that they got Georgia, Georgia, Purdue, LSU, first three games. So that's pretty brutal. You know, they, they also, you know, they generally don't get too daring with their non-conference games. Um yeah. Because you know, really, you win your four non-conference games, you go two and six, you're in a bowl game. So, um, you know, occasionally, you know, they played North, they played Notre Dame last year, and you know, they'll 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 take a chance here and there, but you know, they it just doesn't really benefit them to to get too daring. Yeah. So you went to the Notre Dame game last year, didn't you? I did. I did. They should have won that. They really. I. That was before Notre Dame switched quarterbacks. I guess that, that was actually the game they 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 switched during the game, um, to book and um, yeah, you know they just it was it was sort of like I was saying like every time they would just sort of come down the field and like it was just Shermer throwing to Lipscomb like every play it seemed like and um, you know it it just kept the defense off balance and they they did a really good job and you know Notre Dame didn't look great and they certainly got better after they after they switched um at qb but it was um it was almost a w yeah all right well mark uh thank you for coming on to the show oh my pleasure anytime uh, a lot of fun i'd love to have you back when the browns have gone out outpaced us our expectations and gone 14 and 2 and uh, i'm going to vegas and making all those bets today i'm very confident that our Take the over. Pound the over. There you go. 
All right. Uh, Mark, thank you for coming on. Uh, uh, for those of you listening, thank you. Uh, we'll be back next week uh, with uh, Annika Sweeney and Lily Sweeney, two friends of mine, talking Ohio State football. Uh, Mark, uh, once again, it was a pleasure. Thanks, man. All right. Uh, have care. a good weekend. Uh, you, you too. too. Have a good Bye. weekend, everybody.